Hello and welcome to another episode of the Lost Teams podcast. I am your co-host Anthony Cerdelli and with me today is a guest co-host. My normal co-host Andrew is uh, pretty busy so we had another guest come in and I'm super excited for this one. You may recognize his voice from the podcast that I co-host and he co-hosts on occasion. Uh, Totally Offsides, Jeff Hardwick. Jeff, how you doing? I am well and I'm stoked to be here. How you doing? I'm doing very well. I'm excited to have you. I uh, awesome. uh, the other podcasts we joke around a little bit, and and uh, but I <laughs> I like to give you crap. But I think I, I think you're uh, I think you're going to be awesome. You're awesome at that one. I think you're going to be awesome at this one. So I'm excited to hear about uh, what you have on tap today, which is actually a a team that has moved. They no longer exist in their current form, but still a very uh, very um, well known franchise in NHL lore. And what team is that? Uh, we will be going into the uh, Quebec Nordiques today, awesome. uh, which I'm really, yeah, I'm really stoked to talk about. But actually, um, if we're, so if we're going to talk about, um, you know, lost teams and things like that, we actually then have to say that we are going to talk about uh, the San Francisco Seahawks. Oh. Is, who, is actually who we are going to talk about. Because in <clears throat> the early days of the WHA, we're talking 1970, right? Um we're about to launch this new hockey franchise, this new hockey venture in North America, right? With like, you've got, who comes from the WHA? Like uh, the, the Vancouver Oilers. Canucks, the Oilers are from there as well. Um, they Jets had a, uh, sort of, yeah, yeah, the, that's a whole yeah, the, path, not the current right, Jets. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, the, the Phoenix Coyotes, right? Mm-hmm. Arizona Coyotes who, yeah, moved down from Winnipeg. Uh, they had a franchise in Houston as well. Uh, which predates the Dallas Stars. Like it's it, that a lot of stuff going on, but for the uh, purposes of Quebec here in San Francisco, you've got the Seahawks, and you've also got in Oakland. Uh, since '67, you've got the Seals playing there, and as the NHL has made it no secret at that point, uh, the Seals are not making money. It's not, they're not drawing fans. They're not making money. It's a, it's, it's bad news. Right. And you guys have covered them and they're they're They move and right. Yeah. There's just, it was, it was hard to launch hockey in the Bay area in that, in that time. Right. You look, you look now with San Jose, it was like catching lightning in a bottle when they launched them in the nineties. But you know, so you'd think, Hey, there should be something there, but no San Jose's success is built on the failures of, the Seahawks and and the Oakland Seals. And I'm sorry, I think I cut you off. Go ahead. Oh, no, it's okay. I mean, even San Jose took a few years to kind of get started. They, they had that one series upset against the Red Wings, but they were yep. they were really, I think, until like the late 90s, not, not the most <laughs> successful either. No, no. But then, you know, but they went on that run, right, where they mm-hmm. were in the playoffs, what, every season for 13, 14 straight years or something like that? Yeah, basically until like two years yeah. ago, and now they stink. <laughs> <laughs> and now that yes, and now and now it's come full circle again on them. But yeah, those first couple seasons in like where they they played in the Cow Palace, mm-hmm. <laughs> that's bad news. Um, so just like San Jose's kind of early days, anybody's early days in the Bay Area were marked by poor funding, uh, poor attendance, um, and even poorer revenues. Uh, so it didn't take long. Uh, in fact, uh, the Seahawks never played a game in the WHA. Oh, wow. uh, they fold. They, yeah, they folded before they started. Um, and a group of investors in Quebec City uh, pulled their money together, and lo and behold, bing, bang, boom! You've got the WHA's Quebec Nordiques. 
Oh. Oh. Much oh. to the chagrin. Much to the chagrin of the Montreal Canadiens, and we're gonna we're gonna get into that. That plays the Montreal Canadiens play a really big role in all of this, right? And you know, you because, know what's interesting about the the WHA that you were mentioning. So, uh, the uh, another team that we covered, the the Philadelphia Blazers, uh-huh. uh, it, it seemed to be happening a lot where there was a franchise uh, that was proposed or uh, started in another city and never played a game. There, the the my, I forget what the team was, but the team in Miami eventually became the Philadelphia Blazers. So kind of similar to another WHA team. Right. As is, you know, the, an upstart league, everybody looking for, you know, the funding, the space, the, you know, everything that they need to try to get this started. If it's not happening um, in the, in the, you know, the initial city you pick, you, you, you find another one. Uh, and that way that kind of marked the, again, marked the early days of the WHA. Uh, and so now they're in, Quebec. They're out of San Francisco. They're in Quebec. Montreal doesn't like it, but whatever. It's a different league, right? It's not the NHL. They don't really have to worry about it. Uh, and they <laughs> they don't find a lot of early success. Um, in fact, uh, the most so the most famous Quebec's Quebec Nordiques coach ever would be a one Maurice Rocket Richard. Oh. I'm gonna give you. I'm gonna. I'm gonna give you a guess as to how many games he coached. Ooh, uh, man! If it's super short, it's gonna be under a season. I'm gonna go with in the 30s, like 35. You are on the right track, but still way too high. <laughs> Twelve. Two. Oh. Two. He coached <laughs> two games. Um, and he very famously gave a interview with the Montreal Gazette before his first game, uh, saying, you know, I've never really done this before. This could be, this could work out really well, or it could be a real short experiment. I, I honest, and his quote, I, I honestly don't know how this is going to play out. Hey, Two games later. <laughs> he's gone. That's better yes. than, uh, at least they had the sense to hire a hockey legend. We did a, um, a team, a few of man, one of our first few teams, the Chicago Cats of uh, the, I think it was the ASL, the American Soccer League, Upstart okay. Soccer League. They hire Bob Cousy, the basketball hall of famer, <laughs> as their commissioner. <laughs> and it was, he was quoted as saying something like, I don't know anything about soccer, but we'll give it a try. <laughs> right. There's, there's a lot of early precedent for, uh, for Ted Lasso <laughs> <laughs> yeah. in, in I, the real world. I I still haven't seen it, and I've heard nothing but amazing things. Same here. I what well, it's on Apple. It's Apple TV, right, or something like that. I believe Apple so. Yeah. Service. yeah. It's, I, I, it's the one I don't have. Yeah, I have. I <laughs> I'm gonna go on a, a short rant. Streaming cutting the cord to me now is totally pointless because every every content maker is like get take basically starting their own streaming service and taking all their content onto their own streaming service. So now if you want to watch all the shows, it's basically like subscribing to a cable package anyway, where you yeah. have to subscribe to a streaming service that makes produces 27 shows that you don't watch and one that you do. It's, it's very similar, but back onto the Nordique. Sorry. <laughs> the golden age of streaming is dead. And here it we is. lament it. it is. Right? We lament all dead things here. <laughs> the golden age of streaming yeah. and, and professional sports teams. Yep. So we've got uh, two games and done, the Rocket Richard, um, and they go through a handful of coaches, and, but Quebec starts to get good. They actually they, uh, they win some titles in the WHA, they, uh, and they, they start to get some notice. 
Enough so that by the time 1980 rolls around, 7980, when the league is in real serious, like actual talks about uh, taking, like absorbing the WHA, um, Quebec is one of, if not the top team in the, uh, in all of the WHA and is like the crown jewel of the teams that will be taken in, that'll be absorbed into the NHL. Um, Montreal does not want this. The Canadians <laughs> are not having this. And this leads to a little bit of a beer war. And beer nothing war. could be more Canadian than a beer war. So, uh, principal, principal sponsor and biggest uh, financial backer of the Montreal Canadiens would be the Molson Brewing Company at the time. Now owners, I believe. Now owners. Now owners. If they weren't, if they, yeah, I don't think they, they didn't own them then. But that was where that was where their their big uh, their big money came from. Likewise, in Quebec, big money for them into the Nordiques was coming from the O'Keefe Brewery. Uh, and what ends up happening is that Montreal is a no vote on bringing the Nordiques in. They're like, nope, we're not having it because they don't allow Quebec in. There is a Canada-wide boycott of Molson beer. Oh. Be- because of the <laughs> because of their association with Montreal, who is standing in the way of Canada getting more NHL teams. I'm just gonna put because this out there. Th- Canada, I've never heard of Canada seems like for the most part they don't like Quebec anywhere, Montreal. So I can see that happening for sure. <laughs> I've heard I've I've been in multiple like different places around the world and heard not been directly involved in but heard third party conversations from Canadians about how much Montreal sucks. It's like it's happened multiple times. It's kind of funny. <laughs> Sorry, continue. No, but at, that lies at the heart of what happens. And so now Molson's got a PR nightmare on their hands, having done nothing. They've got this nightmare on their hands. And so they go knocking on the door at the old forum and like, Hey, make this nonsense. Stop. (laughs) We like, we can just not sponsor the team. If it's going to cause a Canada wide boycott, like "Mm, we're not having this, Let let's go. Montreal says, okay, bing, bang, boom. Quebec's in the league. And it's about about, night. No, think, think about how much Canada has to have their shit together to do that. Like we've been, we've, we've like cancel culture in quotes has come up in like recently in the news in the United States with the internet and Twitter and everything. This is late seventies, early eighties. There's no internet. There's just newspaper and phones. And the entire country of Canada made a beer company so nervous. They went to go talk to the, the, the most legendary hockey team in the NHL. That's impressive. I, there's right. There's something to be said about having done that all analog. Like that was not done digitally. That was old school, like, you know, foot to pavement, like, you know, (laughs) people made, people made that happen. And I, it's one of those really interesting things is that not only does this story bring in the power of the purse and how human beings really do um, uh, interact with their world, uh, not just economically, but politically, because it gets better. Um, please tell me you've heard of the Good Friday Max- Massacre. 
one of the I, most famous NHL games yeah, ever. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So it's it's Good Friday in 1984. We got four years under our belt of Quebec being in the NHL. Three or four, something like that. I, the 83-84 and then 84-85, the, the, the math you got to do for which year counts. <laughs> like, I, I get it mixed up all the time, so I'm going to say – I'm just going to say three-ish, three or four seasons in. They're and seniors, Quebec is maybe, they're, they're, maybe, in high school maybe, at the NHL. They're upperclassmen at least. Couldn't tell you if they're juniors or seniors. Anyway, <laughs> Montreal – Quebec is actually playing really great hockey. Uh, and this particular season – Quebec had won six or seven out of the eight games that they had played over the regular season. Um, and now it's, uh, it's playoff time. And everybody's just assuming that Quebec is going to, is going to mop the floor with them. Uh, there was <laughs> uh, Van Halen was in town playing a concert. <laughs> Uh, either they were they were slated to either play they either played the night before or they were slated to play the night after. In any case, they're at a bar watching this game. Ten seconds in is the first fight. Um, by the time the final horn blows, which I, I don't know how there was one when you had two hundred and fifty eight penalty minutes, oh. like four, fourteen different fighting majors. Um, and uh, uh, 12 players total being ejected. Uh, I was just a, a nightmare. And this is all pent up. And <laughs> it gets tied into Orwell a little bit. Well, George Orwell, 1984. He talks about um, sport and uh, uh, nationality. At this point, from the 70s into the 80s, there is the big separatist movement in Canada, Quebec wanting to be its own, it's, you know, wanting sovereignty, Quebec wanting sovereignty. Mm -hmm. This has been a, a theme for a good decade and a half in Canada coming up to this point. Now that Quebec is in the league, now there's like, think of, um, uh, uh, Scottish Premier League. You've got uh, Celtic and Rangers, right? You've got the Catholic fan contingent of the Celtic and the Protestant fan contingent of the Rangers. I might be getting Scotland. this. I might be getting this wrong, but I'll, I mean, it might be similar to what we had in, in Spain in the like a few years ago. But I think was it Barcelona wanted or Catalonia wanted to leave uh, or secede from Spain or something like that, and and. Mm -hmm. Uh, didn't want, and I think that's where Barcelona is. I'm terrible with my Spanish. We've got a couple Dutch fans apparently, so I don't want to screw up if anybody's a big <laughs> Spanish soccer fan. I also don't know the religious I think, uh, uh, affiliations in Spain, but it might be similar to like Barcelona and Catalonia wanting to leave Spain uh, and then having to play like Real Madrid and the, everyone else in the Liga. Right. Yes. Exactly. And so now you have these teams that embody that tension. You've got Montreal with the, the, the Canadians who embody Canada, uh, you know, and, and, and all of it, you know, and everything in it. And now you have the Nordiques, which are embody Quebec, which embody the separatist movement, which embody that, uh, that idea of, of sovereignty. Um, and it's, it spilled over into the Good Friday Massacre. Um, 
to where you've got, you know, you've got Eddie Van Halen sitting in a bar asking a bunch of guys like, is this, is this just what happens? Like, <laughs> like they, these guys don't watch hockey, but they're like, is this a normal thing? This can't, this can't be normal, right? This can't be normal. <laughs> and, <laughs> having to sit there and, and have Canadians explain to them why they were seeing what they were seeing because of what was happening politically in the country. Wow. It, it's, yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> it's really insane. And it's, it's, because it's such a small kind of sample size for this team, it, I, there's a whole lot crammed into their kind of small bit of existence. There's, there's really is, a, you know, a, a lot of really high watermarks of in, in different kind of areas, right? You've got a, a team with, you know, making a mark politically. You've got a team making a mark culturally within, you know, within, uh, within the country. And then you've got this team making its mark on the ice as well. You go from the Good Friday Massacre and you start moving into the 92, 93, 94 seasons and momentum is building for Quebec. It is really building. And you know what you taught if it looked like I was reading something, you taught me something I did not know about this. I don't know much about the secession of attempt of Quebec, but mm-hmm. I grew up in, in New England and the Quebec was as, as the border of Canada and Quebec was as close as Boston was. So we went, we went to, we would hear news about that. And even in the nineties when they were still talking about it, uh, I did not know that Montreal, I assume Montreal was part of that effort, but apparently they were going to like propose to split Montreal, like according to where the language kind of the communities that spoke different languages. This is from a quick month, uh, a quick Wikipedia Google just now, but I had no idea that you, I was, I was about to be like, isn't Montreal part of Quebec, but you're right. It was, it was going to be part of Canada, real part of Canada. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. There was a, <clears throat> a whole lot. Yeah. It was going to have a, 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 an East and West Berlin feel to it for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, had, had, had that all gone down. Yeah. Right. But no, you know, Canada kind of, you know, the, as a whole Canada, Canada held themselves together. But yeah, you got to see kind of the ugliness of that spill out onto onto the ice and in a very, very Orwellian style, you know. Um, but like I said, as years had passed. And again, Quebec stayed, you know, stayed relevant right there, kind of on the cusp. And then you get 90, you know, the early 90s roll around, 92, 93, 94. And this is where the team building starts to happen and you start to see the pieces come into place. And I don't know if you've ever, uh, if you've ever seen a trade tree for the Eric Lindros trade, it is, it's, it's the Charlie day meme with the, you know, where he's strung out, all the strings are connected and it's, it is insane. It's a, it's a, it's a redwood in Sequoia national park. It's just gigantic and it's still going. That yes, it's there. It, the ripples of this trade are still being uh, the way assets were moved in all of those trades. Yes, there it's still active. It's <laughs> unbelievable, unbelievable. But it, it all starts when Eric Lindros says, "I will not play for the Quebec Nordiques." Uh, crazy at the time, a, a holdout in the NHL. That is insane is insane maybe you know today we don't have as much uh there's as much shock anymore but this is this has got this is back in the height of the good old boy 
reputation of hockey players. These are these are humble, hardworking uh, farm boys. Y- yeah, man. Like they, these are not NFL players holding out for more money. Like that's not what they do. And here comes Eric Lindros, who it not holding necessarily holding out for more money, but just isn't going to play in Quebec. Just, okay. Really? You played for the Regina Pats, homeboy. You can't play for the Nordiques? Okay. And so through, through an arbiter, there, there was an arbiter that, that uh, and not many people realized that this was a three-team deal that involved the New York Rangers as well. Uh, the, God, for a guy who never played a game in the NHL, to get back, you get Peter Forsberg, Steve Duchesne, Mike Ricci, Ron Hextall, Chris Simon, uh, um, with the with the draft picks that they got, they also got Jocelyn Tebow. That name will become relevant shortly. Uh, oh, Kerry Huff, Kerry Huffman came in the uh, in the in that initial trade, and guys like Adam Denmarsh uh, was a uh, was were drafted with the picks uh, that that were accrued in in that uh, in that trade and the, over the, those first couple of years, and it looked like Quebec was gonna win a cup. They were stacked. They were young. They had all the pieces in place and the lockout happened. I remember the lockout. The, I... the... <laughs> tell me, tell me your nineties lockout story. I was just, I was the first game. So the first game after the lockout ended was kind of like when I came to in my hockey fan consciousness. I remember it was a, it was actually speaking of Lindros, it was a Bruins Flyers game, like sometime in January of, I want to say it was 95. And I, and I remember watching, I think the Bruins won four, three. It was like, and then the reason I remember this whole, just this era of, there's a little bit to do with the Nordiques because they were in the same division, I think. And, and yeah, uh, but it was like when I came into my hockey consciousness, like uh, the first thing I remember, and it's like seeing Cam Neely play against Lindros and Adam Oates, that, that era of the Bruins yep. against the, the early Legion of Doom uh, Flyers. It was, uh, it, I just have fond memories of that era. And uh, not fond memories of the lockout because I don't remember before. <laughs> but I, no, you know, I do remember watching Providence Bruins hockey. So uh, briefly so i think that was i think that was yeah so i kind of remember that that era fondly and if you when you dive into why uh uh really the the nuts and the bolts of what happened to Quebec and why is in that labor stoppage you had two things that were coming to a head it was the falling uh, strength of the Canadian dollar. So it was three things: the falling falling strength of the Canadian dollar, player salaries being paid in the American dollar, um, and those salaries just starting to to hit that uh, that that exponential turn uh, into into what we're seeing now. Mm-hmm. They were they were at the the very beginning of that skyrocket. Um, and when you combine that with, uh, with a weak Canadian dollar, <clears throat> there were teams that just couldn't compete. And when you don't have, when you've got a season of no revenue, uh, but you still got expenses, it was, it was an easy call. And the ownership group in Quebec, uh, pulled the trigger and sold to the ownership group, uh, in Denver, which moved the team, uh, very quickly to Colorado. And so the 95, 96 season 
we open up in Colorado <clears throat> as, as the avalanche. And now you've got the avalanche with all those crazy draft picks, all those assets from the Lindros trade. And now you've got the single most effective home ice advantage in all of the NHL because there's less than I'm going to leave room for the pack for the fact that in 1995, 96, there may, there may have been some guys who played their college hockey in the Colorado, in the, in Colorado somewhere. Those are the only guys who know what it's like to suck wind a mile high in the third period after a shift. But now there's one, now there's one team in the league who gets to practice there and get used to it. I, I experienced this, this, uh, home ice advantage, um, very personally. So (laughs) when I, when I was 14, 15, 15, uh, my youth team made it to the tier one nationals and uh, the Bantam nationals. And it was in Colorado Springs. And when we landed, we practiced actually at the, at the avalanche, we got one practice at the Colorado avalanche practice rink. It was right after Forsberg was coming back from an injury. So they had all the windows blacked out and everything. And we did a practice and we were just dying. Mm. And we, we get to the, we get to Colorado Springs and the team we're playing is the host team, which is like, typically the host team gets to play in the nationals. They usually get, curb stomped because they don't they have no business being there little did we know the host team had won the entire rocky mountain region which stretches from like the canadian border all the way to texas or something like that it was it's huge with a lot of hockey uh hockey playing areas and it was pike's peak which also was at a high elevation and they just first game of the tournament just wiped the floor with us. I think the score was like 11 to one or something. It was, it was just, I mean, they were better than us in every way, better conditioned. They played all their games or most of their games at high elevation. It was just, we were demoralized, but that's, that must've been how it felt for most NHL teams. I would, I should have looked into it before we started, but uh, I don't believe that there is or was, a better winning percentage on home ice ever in the NHL uh, than the Colorado Avalanche's uh, inaugural season. It's just, there's, there's absolutely no way that. So halfway through that inaugural season, we said we'd get back to Jocelyn Tebow, one of those assets that was acquired in the Lindros trade. Montreal gets blown out like nine to nothing by the Detroit Red Wings. In like, I don't know, November, December of <laughs> 95. And for whatever reason, the head coach of the Canadians leaves Patrick Waugh in for all nine goals. Doesn't pull him, doesn't replace him. I think there was an injury or something like that. But they had, an, they had, they had a backup dressed. I mean, not their normal backup, but they had a backup dressed. Not like a, an e-bug guy or something like that, but you know. It, it wasn't, an, you know, they had a, a serviceable backup goalie dress. Patrick Wall was on the hook for all nine, goes to the press conference. I'll never play another game in a Montreal Canadiens jersey. And he was right. <laughs> so send Jocelyn Tebow and a handful of uh, picks over to Montreal. And bing, bang, boom. Not only do you have the best home ice in all of the NHL, now you've got a Hall of Fame goaltender on your team. And the now and now the number of future Hall of Famers on this team goes from too many to too many plus one. <laughs> and 
and here was the thing too is i uh one of my favorite points about this is that you'll hear it's 1993 9293 was the last time the stanley cup was raised by a canadian team when I they when it. they beat I celebrate that because uh, it was the Montreal Canadiens and I celebrate Montreal Canadiens elimination day. So I keep track every year of the, uh, of the, the, the years that they've gone. Unfortunately, I would like st- the a Canadian team to win the Stanley cup. I just, not the Montreal Canadiens. I just right. keep them, keep their grubby fingers off of it. I, I'm okay with Vancouver getting one. Uh, the Oilers have had their share. They can kick rocks. I could, uh, Give one to Calgary or Winnipeg or or Ottawa. Come on, get them a cup. Give give one to Toronto. Justify those five hundred dollar per ticket. Right? Where's all that money going? (laughs) Well, I mean, now now it's going to the the roster is friggin' stacked, but right, uh, right. There's way more money than that being made in Toronto. I think. (laughs) Correct. Okay, hold on. What was the last point I was making? Uh, you were talking you about uh, the last time a Canadian team won the Stanley Cup. Okay. So, no no lockout, no money troubles. Say Quebec is still in Quebec today. People in Canada like to think, who knows how many cups could have gone through Quebec. And I am here to tell you that a grand total of no cups, no cups <laughs> go through Quebec. And there's a couple reasons why. One we already touched on was that home ice advantage in Colorado. Uh, You don't get that in Quebec. Everybody, you know, you're a known quantity there. Number two, Patrick Watchrade, he gets shipped off to like Dallas or or St. Louis or something like that before he gets sent to Quebec. There is no way the Montreal Canadiens do business with the Quebec Nordiques. That's That's not how that goes down. Patrick Waugh gets sent to get sent to the San Jose Sharks before he gets sent to the Quebec Nordiques. Imagine if they sent him uh, at, to the, at that point. Imagine if they sent him to the Red Wings. Like how history would have. I mean, it, it, history still would have been similar because they probably would have won a bunch of would have won a bunch of cups. But like he was right. on that side of the rivalry. Oh my god! Right. But then what do you do, what do you do at that point with? Um, is, no, Vernon. Vernon's gone by. Is it Vernon or is it Osgood at that point? Vernon, I think it was Vernon the first one, and then Osgood, uh, Osgood mostly for the rest of them. Yeah. Yes. Yes. You're right. You're right. <laughs> for whatever reason, my favorite. Well, I'll tell you the reason. My favorite Chris Osgood moment. Uh, it was a, the Kings Red Wings playoff series um, in what 2000, 2001, something like that, where they where the Kings upset him. Uh, they had they had Adam Deadmarsh uh, on that squad. Uh, Ziggy Palfy was there. Joseph Stumpel, the former Bruin. Did they have Donato <laughs> at that point? He might have. Uh, I think he. I don't. I think Ted Donato's a little, a little earlier than that. Yeah. I think he goes. I think he's more in the nineties. Did they? Uh, did they have Shakovsky? Shakovsky for I thought they got Marius Shakovsky. Maybe he went somewhere else. That doesn't. That doesn't ring a bell with the Kings. <laughs> All right. Not, not with. Uh, <clears throat> but we've also got like Yannick Perot on this team, and <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, and Os- Osgood's in net for Detroit, and there's three Detroit fans sitting next to 
uh, my dad and a bunch of buddies, we, we went like eight deep to this playoff game. Like my dad worked a whole bunch of overtime and scored these playoff tickets and was like, Hey, invite a bunch of friends. I'm like, are you kidding me? Hell yeah. <laughs> and so me and a bunch of high school friends are at, are at this game. Um, and there's three drunk Detroit fans next to us who aren't really Detroit fans. They just put the jerseys on, uh, because they wanted to get on sports center. They smuggled an octopus in <laughs> with, with one of those, you know, those three man water balloon launchers where two people are like the brace and you got one guy who pulls it back. Yep. So the drunkest of the three is balancing an octopus and launches it. And they all go racing to the rail, like of the top deck to see where it hits. I didn't see it. I just heard, I heard two noises. I swear to God, because they did this in a lull in between, like in between play is I could hear the slap of the octopus <laughs> like on the floor. And I heard this woman shriek. So this blood curdling scream that like, for whatever reason, it's, it's like the puck's about to drop, right? And there's the, the, the music has stopped. The hush is back. Everybody's waited with bated breath, right? It's a, it's a like one or two to nothing game. It's a close game at this point. And everybody's watching and you just hear slap. <laughs> so I stand up and I, I see this blonde woman shoot up in her seat and is pointing way back up on the rafters and like, like a well-oiled machine, these three dudes in red wing jerseys just boop, 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 everybody up, everybody stuffing pockets, pop, 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 down the stairs, like get away. We were never here. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. But this drunk, this drunk Detroit, not even a Red Wings fan. He just wanted to be a part of it. He's got his Osgood jersey on. Every time he makes a save, he stands up and yells. Oz means is in Polish. Chris is good. Chris is good. And uh, oh, are you really? Okay. I was, it was funny the first two times. The guy made 40 saves in the game. It uh, wasn't funny ever again. <laughs> <laughs> That's brutal. I also, I found, I found the other Bruin, uh, obscure Bruin from the mid nineties that was on that Kings team. Brian Smolinski. Smolinski. Yeah. He's the guy I was he, thinking of. You know, he was, um, I'm going to go way back on you. Here's, here's some hockey dork for you. He and Rob Blake played their college hockey together at Bowling Green. And wait, say that name again. Brian Smolinski, Michigan State. Nope, never mind. I'm thinking of Nelson Emerson. Oh, there you My go. bad. Yeah, I mixed it up. I've been drinking. Don't mind me. <laughs> <laughs> I do like to getting back to talking to Canadian fans like to let them know that I'm sorry for a couple of reasons. One, the, the home ice in, uh, in Denver and two, the fact that uh, Montreal would not do any sort of business with a franchise called the Quebec Nordiques. Um, they're just, it just wasn't going to happen. The uh, <clears throat> Jocelyn Tebow, a fine goaltender, a, a professional's professional uh, had a, a, uh, I, most people would envy the type of career uh, that he got, uh, but he's not going to win you any cups, right? Patrick Patrick was the the one of the reasons that happens, and he doesn't. He's just not going to go to Quebec, and so it's this really interesting. <laughs> I, it's hard to say then that 
with all of those assets that Quebec did have, you could then say, well, all right, so they wouldn't be able to move them for a Patrick Wall. Maybe they would move them for X, Y, or Z, right? You just, you just, you just can't tell. Um, but at that point, again, once you get into the meat of the 90s and, and a little bit after, you've got the, those Red Wing dynasties. You've got, right, you know, and again, the only challenge to the Detroit Red Wings over those years were the Colorado Avalanche. <laughs> those, that's, that's what the Western Conference Finals were back then, right? And so it, it wasn't going to be, right, Quebec wasn't going to stop Detroit once yeah. Detroit got going. And there were a lot of good teams in that Eastern Conference back then that even that were like kind of footnotes because of the Red because the um, because the Red Wings and the Avalanche were so good. They were both in the Western Conference that like you never remember, but like you in that era, you had the Panthers playing in a Stanley Cup and not winning the Flyers. The that, that it was it was that first Colorado Cup was uh, in yeah ninety five ninety six. That was a yeah. great Florida team. Yeah, you had you had great teams there. Uh, oh yeah, uh, the Flyers and the Capitals, uh, very unsung uh, franchises in those times, because they ran into a couple of different buzzsaws. Uh, that being said, maybe maybe one of them would have been able to to, to eke through and and get uh, add another cup mm-hmm. if it was if they were just contending with Detroit out of the West. And not Detroit and Colorado, uh, but yeah, I don't. I, Quebec would not have been one of those teams, right? Because again, you know they're going to be they're going to be dealing with these rising talents in the East, this beast in Detroit coming up. Uh, yeah, it just wasn't. It wasn't going to be in the cards for the Cup to come through Quebec, but for that franchise to go to Colorado. And here's the thing. I don't think you could have stuck any franchise in Denver and had it been that successful. You know what I mean? You needed, you you needed to, you needed to stick a roster full of future hall of famers there and just, you know, I'm, I am, I'm amazed they lost a game at all in Denver (laughs) that season. You, You know, I just, I can't, I just, I can't see it happening. You know, just, just nobody, nobody else is playing hockey there. And you yourself know it, you know what it's like to walk into that air and try to get and try to get it. And it's just not coming back. Like, you know what being gassed is, but being gassed up there, like it starts to get in your head a little bit. Like why, why it should be back by now. And you start to get a little freaked out. It's it. It's it's unnerving and uncomfortable. And then you lose by eleven goals, and you think, "When the hell did I ever come here? <laughs> why? Why does anybody come here? Why? There's no need. <laughs> Go where there's more air. That's that's it." I'm um, trying to look. I at, also. Oh, go ahead. Speaking of the 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 battle with the Red Wings and the team, what what teams beat them? So uh, that season they were. Three or two and three against the Red Wings, and the Red Wings beat them tw- once at home, twice on the road. But I mean that uh, <laughs> that was a team that played them close. So if that right. right. I mean, I'm looking at the record of the Colorado Avalanche from back then. Guess who else beat them? Uh, oh nope, away every time. The Anaheim, the Mighty Ducks of Anaheim, but never at never in Denver. 
Never in, right? Never in Denver. And here's the thing is there is, through the 90s, there is a big storyline with both the Ducks and the Kings of not being real good teams, but playing good teams tough. Mm -hmm. Like for, for whatever reason, a team like, um, I don't know, I, like a, a middling Eastern Conference team would come in to the, to the forum back in the mid-90s and beat the absolute crap out of the Kings. But the very next night, Detroit would come into the barn and they might eke out a 2-1 win or, or, they'd, or they'd lose 2-1 in overtime or something like that. And you'd wonder, like, where the hell were these guys last night? <laughs> Who are these guys? For whatever reason, when, when teams like Colorado and Detroit would show up in L.A. or in Anaheim, they would answer the bell. Yeah, it's, it, it, I wonder if it's a little bit of a like, well, for the Kings it was different because this is, what, this year? Was this, the, was this also the year that Gretzky got traded um, to the Blues? Or was that the that year was before? the that so that would have been the ninety five ninety six season yeah so that was the year that um, wasn't that the first that was the year that they won the that the Avalanche won the cup too right yes yeah the same same year so they so they lose what Gretzky at the trade deadline was that when it happened I that think? was it yeah he went to yeah he went to St Louis at the trade deadline and that was a wild Western Conference playoffs because you had St. Louis, you had Detroit, you had Colorado. Like it, There was a lot going on. I don't know. There was a really – do you remember – there's a pretty famous Steve Eiserman goal, that blast yep. from the blue line. That was that playoff series against the Blues that season. That Gretzky had it lost. That's the reason I, I – that's my favorite – I mean – I, uh, I try to be now that I work a little bit in the media unbiased towards my, the home team I grew up in. But even with that, with the bias, my favorite NHL goal of all time is that Steve Eiserman goal. It is so good. Like from the play-by-play -play that of Gary Thorne's play-by-play -play to the, the like pent up, I mean, the pent up emotion that is released from the, in, in, in Detroit after he scores it took just the absolute laser that that shot was. Everything about that goal is incredible. The fact that he the, stole it from Gretzky, it was just whew, the ever, ever, ever so slight clink of the grays of mm -hmm. the post as it goes Bardownski. Mm -hmm. And just, Oh, all of it, all of it. His, his jump, his, just the crazy, just like, I don't know what to do with my arms, but I'm just going to go nuts. <laughs> yeah. The, I might, this might be the first time I add a, uh, a clip in there uh, of this. Well, we might pause it right here and just play that, uh, play that, the, the audio of that highlight. Cause it's so good. We go into this second overtime. Gretzky had it, lost it. Eisenman picks it up. Eisenman moving. Blue line chance. Score! It's just, it's, it's good. It, it tingles every sense. It's like the eyes, the ears. I'm sure if you were there, you could smell what it smelled like. Like it's such a, it's such an iconic goal. It's, it's beautiful. It's a, it's a thing of beauty. It just, oh man. <laughs> <laughs> we have but yeah, you know, we don't, but we don't have that Western conference landscape without 
the Quebec Nordiques creating this juggernaut of a team that it couldn't afford to pay on the Canadian dollar. <laughs> and so it had to ship it down to the States to somebody who could afford to pay it. You know, it's funny that like, that is the, that is the, like, basically the point of this podcast, like things you don't think of really off the top of your head that changed sports forever. Like you're right. Yeah. That combination ha- uh, created a dynasty in hockey and a rivalry between the Red Wings and the, and the avalanche that like is still remembered by a lot of people to this day from the, well, who was it? Chris Draper who had the bloody face uh, got checked into the boards. Um, who, uh, I think it was an avalanche player. Uh, oh, it was uh, Claude Lemieux. No, he well, he was the offender. So maybe he it was, was a Red Wings okay. player. Who who was the? They got the bridge of their nose busted open on the on the the low boards, right? Yeah. Oh, I can't pull it. Yeah, I don't. I don't know who it was. But yeah, yeah. it's there's a, there's just nothing but bad. There was nothing but bad blood there. Yeah. And and especially it being, you can't you can't have a rivalry like that now you know, the, with the, the rules, the way they are, you know, uh, but back in the old clutch and grab days, there was just, there was a lot of dudes just throwing people around. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, Claude Lemieux was a friggin' goon. I mean, he was a good player yeah, too. Yeah. I, I remember he, when he played for the, for the, um, it was the same year, the same, the same year, uh, as the Gretzky trade that 95, 96, oh, no, sorry. This was 94. This was the, this was the 95 season at like the shortened season after that lockout. The yeah. Lemuse, Claude Lemuse, New Jersey Devils beat that Bruins team in the first round. And I remember being a little kid and being devastated, but also scared of Claude Lemieux. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah, the, dude, the dude was gnarly. It just, and that type of presence that you needed on a team like that, when you've got all of that crazy, like front loaded skill with Peter Forsberg and Joe Sackick, and it just it, uh, unreal. I have, speaking of uh, one last anecdote about uh, the Lemieux, this part of the or this Lemieux family, because uh, Claude is the father of Brendan Lemieux, who um, is now a king, is now a king. And yeah. so a, a couple of years ago, I, I was doing a story on a local hockey coach who was like local guy from Manhattan Beach, almost like it becomes a professional hockey player, kind of has some things go not his way, controversial things. And he ends up uh, now he's like... Um, he coaches clinics, but he also runs like off season pro workouts for the guys that live in this area. And so I go to take some pictures and, and kind of interview some of the NHL and, and pros from other leagues about what they like about this workout and why, why this guy's such a good coach. So I walk in the locker room and I, I see this guy show up on the ice late uh, before that I would go in the locker room. And I, he, I knew that Chase DeLeo was from here but I didn't, I, and it, I didn't know for sure that he was a guy, but I assumed it looked like him. I was like, oh, that's Chase. It's got to be Chase DeLeo. It looks like him. He's got the long hair, similar outfit. And the guy had been, I think he had Winnipeg Jets. No, it was maybe before. I think he had been Winnipeg Jets stuff. And I think it was right after DeLeo got traded or maybe they, anyway, I, I saw this guy who I thought was Chase DeLeo. And after, uh, after the practice, I walked in the locker room and was interviewing these guys. And it was like, Greg Patteron was there. Um, couple guys from the KHL, uh, Jonathan Blum was one of the KHL guys, he's local. And so I go to interview, I get a quote from who I thought was Chase DeLeo. <laughs> and I was like, hey, could you just tell me your name and, and your age and, and who you play for? And the kid goes, Brendan Lemieux. 
Um, and I played for, I think it was the Jets at the time. And I was like, ah, no, I thought, and he was a kind of a cocky guy. He, I was like, you're, you're messing with me. You're, you're, uh, you're Chase. I know you're Chase DeLeo. He's like, no, I'm Brandon Lemieux. And I was like, and the guys in the locker room started looking at me like, who the fuck is this idiot? Like, who, who is in here? And then I was like, wait, really? And he's like, yeah, my name is Brandon Lemieux. I was like, I am so sorry. And then I looked up who he was and now he's, I mean, this was when he was kind of a fringe NHL player. And now he's kind right, of made right. as, a, as a, call him a Brad Marchand light. Uh, kind of made a name for himself. Um, and so I always think of whenever I hear the Lemieux name, not only being scared of his dad, but what an idiot I made myself look like in front of a bunch of professional hockey players the first time I got to interview someone in the locker room. Uh, so, yeah, I, I should have maybe saved that story for totally offsides, but I figured this is an appropriate moment to share it. <laughs> <laughs> I, Chip may, tell, may have you retell it. I will. I'd be happy to. We'll see I... how much crossover audience we get. Right. <laughs> well, I think both podcasts need an audience first, and then we then we can measure the the, the crossover, right? We can do a we can do a experiment of uh, we can do a a, um, a curve of poop jokes to audience, whether it's an yeah. inverse or the, <laughs> we're getting more poop jokes and more audience on either side, or if they level off and we're getting more, I'll I'll trail them off. No more Sully either. Sully, we'll, we'll put Sully away. <laughs> I please don't. Sully makes my day every time he comes around, dude. I gotta tell you, it's it. I as <laughs> for, those of, for those of you who don't know, Sully is a character, a Bostony Massachusetts Massily character uh, that I sometimes do on Totally Offsides. That maybe maybe he'll maybe he'll make his fucking way on here, guy. We don't know. <laughs> Sully's got hot takes. Uh, he calls he calls the Totally Offsides uh, hotline quite a bit, um, and. I'm telling you, if he's not a fan favorite, he's a host favorite. So don't stop. <laughs> keep him, keep him coming. All right. And dude, thank good. you for thank you for letting me come on and, and ramble about uh, shit that doesn't exist anymore. I happy. I to love do that. It. it was great. Awesome. This this was really fun. Is there anything you want to anywhere? Anything else people can find anywhere besides totally offsides? Is there anything else you do where you want you want people to listen? Uh, yeah. So you can find me on totally offsides. You can also find me on YouTube. I do the, for Christ's sake podcast. Um, it's a little bit of a change. It's not so much sports. It's a little bit of a look at, uh, the modern church and how it interplays with, uh, with life today. Um, as one of those, uh, 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 four square, like born again kids who, uh, who kind of took a long look at what was going on and said, yeah, I don't know. I, maybe that's not for me. Maybe. Maybe I'd rather actually do some real good than pretend to do good and pat myself on the back. But that, that that's a story for another time. I'm not going to get into that. Not going to get into that. But um, again, I'm not too jaded. And it's um, I I talk with uh, there's a couple of reverends. Uh, there's a Presbyterian reverend and a, uh, a Lutheran reverend that I talk with. I've got other a uh, uh, couple of uh, uh, licensed uh, social uh, clinical social worker that I've got an episode with. Like I just. Talk to people from every walk of life that have some sort of interaction with people dealing with their faith and what that looks like in, in like in, in real world terms, not so much like, a, you know, here's what, you know, here's what we should look like is like, no, I'd rather get into like, you know, the, the practicality of things. An enlightened conversation about religion. Yeah, I could have just said that. <laughs> no, I got you. No, it's fine. I think I think you made your. I think you got your point across. I think uh, uh, that that sounds sound sounded good and and coherent. So so I think we're I think we are uh, 
I think we're good, but thank you for coming on. I appreciate it. It's been fun. We'll definitely have you on again. I'm sorry it took so long uh, to actually get you on the books before, <laughs> before when I first mentioned it, but we're, it was it was really fun conversation. Dude, just save me a spot to talk about the USFL. Oh yeah, oh Dude, yeah. We I, can... Yeah, there's, we... there's so much, and I get to, you get to bash Donald Trump while you're doing it, which is so much fun. <laughs> it's so much fun. <laughs> oh yeah, we have we haven't even touched on one of the. Uh, we do well. What team? The Maulers. We did do one team, but it was uh, okay. our friend. No, but it was not. Um, it wasn't Trump's team. The it was. It was that the Generals? Yeah, yeah. It was not Trump's team. It was. Uh, it was the the Pittsburgh Maulers and our friend Drew Crossley from FunWildLasted.com. We'll uh, we'll pump his page again because he's uh, he's been also indispensable in the research that me and and my co-host Andrew have done for the teams we've been doing. So uh, FunWildLasted.net. I always say .com, but it's FunWildLasted.net. So uh yeah that's so there's plenty of usfl teams to cover if you want to do if you want to reserve the new jersey generals i will put the word out there and uh, uh we'll get it on the books for some time in the future let's do it but that i'm telling you that's going to be a, that's going to be a long one because it has so much to do with the actual not just the team but the league itself and how we could still have something competing with the nfl today we could still have that but we don't. And there's specific reasons why. <laughs> One major decision um, that we'll just tease the <laughs> idiotic, I, I call it. Uh, <laughs> but uh, we'll talk about that in the future. That sounds like fun, man. All right. Thanks for coming on. Talk to you later. Mm-hmm.